I don't write with any strategy. I don't write to try to make a bestseller or to be shelved at Costco. I don't write to be famous. I don't have any of that aspiration. I write because I have to. Hey, you're listening to the Dear Secrets podcast. This is Sasha Shao, and that was Claudia Day. Claudia is a novelist, but her life experience is way richer than that. From a bush cook to a screenplay writer, from an actress to a sex columnist, from a fashion designer to a mother, Claudia embraces each of her life experience with an open heart. Whether it's a full of joy or pain, she allows herself to feel it. Every single bit of it, her heart might be broken by it, but then she will sew it back on and re-experience life again. This cycle is on repeat again, again, and again. Her resilience and openness is the secret weapon for her amazing work. Her first novel, Stunt, was published ten years ago, and it was one of Quill Enquire's Books of the Year 2008. It was also Nominated for the Amazon First Novel Award, and Claudia's second novel is coming out on August twenty-first, and it was listed by Publishers Weekly in Writers to Watch for two thousand eighteen. Today's conversation with Claudia is definitely one of my favorites, but before we get into it. I'd like to take a moment and to tell you about our first buffet gathering on September twentieth. We are definitely in for a treat. The reason I say we is because I am also super excited too. The theme for the night is scent, desire, and memories. Our lead is Tracy Wan. She's a scent expert and enthusiast. Her curiosity and innate talent allows her to study and understand scent, fragrance, and perfume in such a profound manner. Because of this, Tracy enjoys films in a totally different way. She doesn't just watch them; she smells them. So, what do you do around here? Read books, transcribe music, swim at the river, go out at night.、That、sounds fun. For the night, we have selected the film "Call Me by Your Name" as our mood board and inspiration. I know, love that film so much. Later, <laughs> then we will discuss the correlations between scent, desire, and memories. Our host is Morna Gablin, an industrial designer and professor at Centennial College. Morna is not only a friend of mine; she and her husband Yam are also friends with many local designers and artists. They often host a gallery series called Chinatown in their home, inviting friends to their home gallery to enjoy art and meet the artists in person. I am so lucky to have found Tracy and Morna as our lead and host for the night. To keep it intimate, we only have space for 15 people. So if you're interested in joining us, head to dearseekers.com to get your ticket. Really hope to see you there. Good. Okay. Okay. Welcome to Dear Seekers Podcast. Thank you. You grew up in Toronto. I did,、um, which is relatively conservative city.、Mm-hmm. And you are a free thinker, forward thinker.、Mm-hmm. 
So growing up a city like that, what kind of advantages, benefits, and what kind of challenges you experienced? Oh wow,、um, I spent a lot of my childhood in a tree across the street from my house reading. So I think that when you're a child, if you live inside your mind, as I did, I lived in this kind of dreamscape. I could have grown up anywhere. We were in a neighborhood filled with artists. David Cronenberg lived on our street, which which neighborhood is that?、Uh, just north of the annex. Oh, okay. On Cottingham, and we had big sprawling parks nearby.、Mm-hmm. And this was the 1970s, so we really were allowed to run free. So I think my childhood was, despite whatever constraints we might perceive as being Toronto constraints,、mm-hmm. my childhood was a free one and. Vibrant. My mother was an artist, and my dad was a beautiful cook and a beautiful draftsman. So I was surrounded by beauty and by making. And we also had a little cabin up north where we spent a lot of time. And so in the winter time, we would ski in and、mm-hmm. ski out to the cabin, and we'd spend our summers there on this、yeah. tiny, cold lake, sailing and hiking. I could run around、yeah. barefoot and blindfolded. I knew the paths so well.、Mm. I remain very close with both of my parents, and they both have lived really dynamic lives. My mom is an artist. She works with textiles. She essentially stitches through archival photographs and makes really beautiful work. Her whole life, she's always been making things with her hands, and I see that now in my son and my eldest son. And my dad,、um, my dad is just. He's a, a seeker. He loves to have a laugh. He loves to have a dance.、Mm. He loves to have a moment of closeness, a moment of beauty. So I think being raised that way, and they're not married anymore, so we didn't have a conventional family in that way, but we're close. So I think being raised with that kind of like love and vibrancy, and just this constant example of making. Including the formation of the self, they gave me a lot of space to be a writer. Respected that and promoted that in their own hearts throughout my life. It didn't frighten them. It didn't concern them. It was like a completely legitimate pursuit. They、mm-hmm. saw that it was kind of inarguable in me. For Claudia's parents, going up to be a writer. Was a profession they have foreseen since she was little. They saw her talent in writing and knew this is her calling. But for Claudia herself, declaring who she is actually dated back to her teenage years, when a hat was given to her. It was this big black wool hat, and I was probably sixteen or seventeen, and my mom gave it to me for my birthday, and it became, in a way, as shallow as this sounds, 
but as weirdly deeply autobiographical as fashion can function, it became an emblem of my difference. Mm -hmm. You know, I went to a private school, an Anglican school, where I wore a uniform every day, this highly academic kind of intense school in North Toronto that I just didn't completely fit into. I would do night school. I did writing by correspondence. I had to like ferret out art wherever I could. I just, the curriculum didn't fit me. And my mom gave me this hat and it was like, she read me by giving me this hat. And then in wearing this hat, I was able to explain myself in a way. Mm -hmm. And the progression from being not knowing or have that understanding of who you are in teenager years to claiming yourself of who you are as a person, Mm -hmm. as an adult. Do you remember, was it like any moment that you kind of have a more sense of self and then now understand this is um, Claudia Day? Hmm. I guess, I mean, it's in parts. Like I remember... You know, with that hat, I had this like Judd Nelson kind of from the Breakfast Club big black coat that I could wear. And then after high school, I went to McGill and started writing more seriously and put on my first play. And I think that my highest, most kind of confirmed, clear sense of self always came when I was either in rehearsal as a playwright, watching rehearsal, going to an opening sitting around the table, parsing a script. After McGill, I went to the National Theatre School. So it just, it continued to accelerate as I deepened my writing and like formalized it. Just, Mm -hmm. you know, I remember when I finally stopped writing Cook on my passport as my occupation and changed it to Writer. I was like, yes. Yes, that feeling of finding herself, becoming herself, and eventually being herself, is incredibly powerful. This self-awareness allows her to understand who she is and who she is not. For me, though, I discovered something about her I didn't know about while doing research for this interview. That is, Claudia actually had a sex column on Torah magazine, which no longer exists. She also wrote a book called How to Be a Bush Pilot. It's a book about sex. She was a real-life version of Carrie Brashaw from The Sex and the City. When I bring up this during our conversation, she tells me this almost feels like a former self. Having a strong sense of self allows her to know the differences between her true self and the persona she's playing. But a question came to me. Do you ever get lost in that? Do you ever feel like when you wear that mask for too long, that might become you? It's an interesting question. I think there is some danger, but it's the right kind of danger. At least it's the kind of danger I want to risk taking. I do feel like I lose the borders of myself when I write, especially. I loved performing in the films. That was like an experiment for me. It was like being inside something that I didn't know. And I like that feeling a lot. And I love the filmmakers. The last film we set, it was in a northern compound and I was up there for three and a half weeks with a new baby and it was a kind of horror film and I needed to be kind of haunted and exhausted. (laughs) 
and I had a very social baby who was curious and bright and just wanted to be awake all of the time, like gazing into each other's eyes. So to be haunted and exhausted was, you know, a natural (laughs) state for me. Mm -hmm. But all of that in the end, I do think kind of ends up amounting to where I am currently. So yes, I do think that you can lose yourself, but I want that. You know, I do that in my writing. I'm I'm drawn to that part of writing where I hear a voice or I see a story unfolding and all I have to do is keep up with the transcription. And I do think that it can be difficult to be a mother alongside that in the sense that being a mother involves a great amount of administration and bureaucracy and remembering lists, which end up being essential. And so the way I wrote this book was away from the house. I would go away to do Mm -hmm. it. In the interview, Claudia mentions she sees writing as an invisible profession. I totally agree with her. Think about this. From marinating the idea in a writer's head to conceptualizing it, to writing it, editing it, to the final book, the whole process seems a very lonely act. This one most recently, yes, you close a door, and I do think of it it as the invisible profession because there's no real evidence of what you're doing until, as you said, you really have like the finished object, the book. Um, But the process is different from project to project. And so for this book, particularly, I tend to think long and write fast. And so the last novel that I published, Stunt, I published 10 years ago. And inside that 10 years, I've felt a lot, I've observed a lot, I've noted a lot, I've read a lot, I've loved a lot. And so all of that went into this book, all of that energy, all of that thinking, all of the sorrows, the heights, it all went into the novel. And I would say that just given the daily busyness and kind of requirements of my life with two young children and a design studio, Writing this novel particularly was a bit like being in a chase scene. It happened very fast. And so I needed to create the conditions to allow for that fastness. Mm -hmm. And so I would go away. I would go to an empty cottage, a chalet, an apartment in the club district, an apartment in Chinatown, wherever my friends had, you know, given me their keys to an empty space, I would go and my husband would hold down our fort for six days, eight days, and once 18 days. Really, And so I would do these like monkish, intense stretches. And part of why I wanted to write the book in that compressed way was because I wanted this book to be I think of them in a way as lovers. It's like they become the antidote to the last book. So my last book was romantic and kind of clotted with language. And then this book, I wanted it to be all about velocity on a sentence level from sentence to sentence. I wanted it to move, Mm -hmm. you know, so I, I feel like the, the compressed time periods that were required of me to make it ended up feeding that quality in the Mm -hmm. sentences and making it a fast book. 
This fast book Claudia is referring to is Heartbreaker, her second novel, which will be available in just a few days on August twenty-first. Now putting all the heart and soul into this book is coming out now.、Mm-hmm. Are you scared? Yeah, I have fear. I tried to think of Muhammad Ali saying, "You know, fear is my mattress. Like it's the thing that I like lie on and get up from. It is like part of my day. It's part of my night. It's part of my life.、Mm-hmm. You know." So I try to get like bombastic with my fear. And then the、What、other kind day, of mattress though. Oh right, <laughs> the soft kind.、Um, yeah, like maybe like a water bed.、Nice. <laughs> um, and then I was writing a note the other day to a friend about how my book is my soul, and this moment as it's about to become outward facing, it's like watching my soul cross an eight lane highway, and so. Yes, you're tender, and you feel like you're, you know, made of glass. And of course, you want readership, and of course, you want it to move people. But of course, you also, as the writer, want to feel like you've taken every risk. And if you've taken every risk, your work, you know, will be met hopefully with like a similar kind of passion, which is always mixed, and that's a good thing. I'm used to that. You、mm-hmm. know, I've made work before. I've like sat for thousands of hours in unheated theaters, watching something come to life, and then have an audience come in for opening night.、Mm-hmm. And opening is the most like gruesome, perfect term for what that feels like、right. as the playwright. And for a novel, you know, it's pub day or publication day, but I do think it is like an opening. I really do. Do you embrace that open night with an open heart, or you embrace that with a more a metal shell to make、mm. sure you are protected? Because now you are made of glass, as you just yeah, mentioned. Yeah, I think both. It's like I have, you know, an open heart behind a metal fence. You know, <laughs> I love that. Wow, that's, that's yeah, that's、mm, beautiful. Yeah. So, are you ready for this book to be in other people's hands? I don't know if I'm ready, but I'm curious. I'm really curious. Like the conversations that I've had with people so far, and the responses that I've had, people will see things in your work that you can't see. You're so deep inside the making. It's like you're the vital organs of the thing, and the reader is the surgeon. You、mm-hmm. know, and so they can see things that you cannot. And so so far. You know, my earliest readers and the few conversations that I've already had have been so fascinating and so enriching, and I do feel like every book finds its place, every book finds its people. I feel that happening, and it's、mm-hmm. really enlivening. Art keeps me feeling vital.、Mm-hmm. Art. Solves so many of the darknesses and the sicknesses in our society, and so these conversations that I get to have with people, they end up leading me toward the next thing, giving me the like the vibrancy to like make the next thing.、Mm-hmm. And what kind of things you wanted to bring to this world with your book, with Heartbreaker、yes. particularly?、Mm-hmm. 
Um, I think it's about a lot of different things. I think the center of the story is about a woman who forms herself at every cost. And she does this in a way that's like unrelenting. You know, the wolf versus the wolf pack. She does not follow. So I really strongly wanted to create a woman who like you feel the borders around herself mm-hmm. and the sharpness of those borders. That self-determination thrills me in a person. And it's also about her relationship to her daughter. So mother love, conformity, non-conformity. It's about the darkest corners in humans and the actions that we might undertake that we can't explain to ourselves or to other people. I'm fascinated by that too. Mm -hmm. The epigraph to the novel is, in love there is no because. Mm-hmm. And I feel that so deeply. There was no sense to my falling in love with my husband. No sense to it. And it happened in a flash. How did it happen? Oh, I saw him and I loved him. Oh, that was really? it. Yeah. So he was a love yeah, at first sight. It really story. was. It was. And it, I mean, there's no sense to that. There right. are a million reasons why we could have not been in the same place at mm-hmm. the same time, yeah. you know? And um, so I'm fascinated by that too. Like this part of ourselves that you just, you can't, there's no way that you can tame it with any kind of rationality. So why your book is almost through um, three lenses. One is the daughter, one is the boy, one is the dog even. Mm-hmm. What was the decision process there? Well, the book really started for me with the image of a woman in a white three-piece suit tumbling from the open door of a slowly moving Mercedes sedan. Mm-hmm. And that's Billy. In the opening pages, Billy disappears. And so... When I had that image, I looked up from this body as she'd fallen on the highway and I looked up and it was like the middle of nowhere. And when I thought, okay, well, what is the middle of nowhere? Pony, the girl's voice came to me and she has this like storm of a voice, bungalow after bungalow, snowmobiles, all this stuff. Girls with show hair, long like their mothers, long like their dogs. Which is going to be you recording in the audio book. That's actually going to be... A younger person. Oh, okay. I get to record the dog. Oh, really? So the dog comes next and then the boy. So Was yes. Was a choice? So yes. Wow. Yeah, I feel very close to the dog. Well, I'm always fascinated by how close we as human beings are to animals. Mm. And I love her, all the things in her that are oppositional. I love oppositional people. And so she's calm and she's controlled, Mm. but she will like sink her teeth into your neck if you do the wrong thing, Mm. you know? So I, I love that. I'm scared. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love when nature is really operating inside Mm -hmm. a person or an animal because it's unpredictable. Right. I love this quote that an unhealthy heartbeat has a regular beat. Mm. A healthy heartbeat has an irregular beat. And for me, the best people, wow, the powerful. best art is uneven. It's irregular. Mm-hmm. And I want it that way because humanity and this experience, life is so uneven. And I always want that reflected in who I love or who I spend time with or in what I write or what I read. Wow. Mm. That was beautiful. I need to (laughs) sink in a little bit. Mm. So through the lens of uh, the three characters, you just talk about 
the most resonance is with the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, what about with Pony? Oh, I'm so close to Pony. Pony's 15. I'm fascinated by teenagers. There's this photographer. She takes portraits of teenagers and she takes portraits of them because she considers them abstracts because they're growing and changing and evolving Mm -hmm. at such a rapid, like almost not perceivable rate. So I love the feeling of excitement in adolescence that this is the night that could change your life, you know, and that feeling of like leaning into a mirror with your girlfriend and like Mm -hmm. putting on your hoop earrings and your lipstick and your eyeshadow and your outfit. Totally. Right. And heading to like a ravine because you can't go to a bar. (laughs) (laughs) So I love, I just, I love that state when you're just, you're separating yourself so violently from who you were in childhood. You're declaring who you are. Mm. Right. And that's such a war. It's such a fight. So I am drawn to that state for sure. And that's Pony. Another thing I really want to explore Mm -hmm. is the relationship, the confusion between melancholy and mental illness because mm. i feel like as a lot of uh, creative thinkers artists mm-hmm. we might intend to be in our own head a lot we think a lot we feel a lot and very deeply yeah so i think to tie up the recent current events we have uh, two very talented celebrities passing mm-hmm. and i think of course this is not a new topic yeah. but i think it's interesting and it's kind of important to talk about it. So what's your take on that? How do you kind of ground yourself and sometimes bring yourself back to the reality? I think that it's really hard to re-enter the atmosphere when you've gone through like a, a terrible, tormenting black sorrow. And I know we all have. And I think in the end that this is where the power lies in art because it can sustain you and it can give you a frame for that pain that you feel and that pain that you've survived and pain does give you insight it shows you parts of the world that you never thought you would see Mm -hmm. and this is the beauty and kind of agony of age too there's this rachel cusk quote that my dear friend directed me to on my birthday, which is, I don't feel I'm getting older. I feel like I'm getting closer. Mm. And so if you can stay the course and just stay here, it is worth it. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. So do you feel like art has to come from suffering? No, I don't. I don't feel that, but I do think that the art that moves me most, whether the writer contends with their suffering in an open way or not, I know when it's in there. I know that they've lost and I know that they've had those huge, dark, agonizing nights and weeks, Mm -hmm. you know, where they can't leave a room, right? right? And so those are the people who I want to be close to, frankly. They're the ones I want to know. I Mm -hmm. hear it in the music. I see it in the painting. I feel it in the sculpture, you know? 
There's a quote that has been resonating with me for the longest time.、Mm. Is that feeling so deeply? It's almost a blessing and a curse at the same time.、Mm-hmm. And myself included, I sometimes will, you know, feel something really deeply that other people not even gonna feel affection of what I feel. And in situation like this, you almost feel like alone. Because you're not being understood,、mm-hmm. um, it's like if an artist make an art, of course that's expression of who you are.、Mm-hmm. But you want another person on the receiving side、mm-hmm. can feel it. Because、mm-hmm. if nobody can feel it, then that art does still have meaning. I don't know. Yeah, that sadness that you would feel or that deep, deep feeling would isolate you. That's how. Yeah. I mean, I do think that it has meaning, but of course, you know, you look at like a Henry Darger or something、mm-hmm. who created behind a closed door for his lifetime, and then had this or Vivian Meyer, you know, all、mm-hmm. of these these kind of shut-ins who ended up being declared geniuses and、right. then accepted into the culture. Yeah, I think it always has meaning. I just I feel like it's the most essential thing, especially at a time right now.、Mm-hmm. And I know what you're saying about having an experience of something, and the depth of your response isolates you. It kind of maroons you.、Mm-hmm. You know, I remember seeing Tanya Tagak perform, and I could not recover. You know, it、mm-hmm. just—I don't even know how to explain my response.、Mm-hmm. It was like, is this past lives? Is this a constellation? Is、mm-hmm. this? I have no idea how、yeah. to understand.、Mm-hmm. Of course, I appreciate her genius and her artistry and this、right. like rare animal of her talent. But why is it that I am literally shuddering with? Tears and cannot calm them, and then I ended up in her arms backstage.、Wow. It took me hours to come down from what she did, and she did it for hundreds of people. But that's where, for me, you know, you look at any photograph of me when I'm little, and I always look sad. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm actually my middle name is Joy, but I was born on the、oh, day、really? of the dead. <laughs> I always feel that kind of sums me up, you know, in a way. Why is that? Because actually, I want to ask you because、mm-hmm. um, from your first novel, from your first play, and now Heartbreaker,、mm-hmm. there are a lot of darknesses in there. There's、yeah. a lot of sadness in there.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always been drawn to that side of life, and I've experienced that. You know, I've gone through, as most humans have, terrible. Dark periods, some from the outside and some from within, you know. And I don't run from that. Lots of pain, a lot of different kinds of pain, and I um, I feel really grateful that I have the form that I have as a writer, because it allows me to order my thoughts. And to order whatever pain I experienced or witnessed, it allows me to contend with it,、mm-hmm. you know, and to give it a place. And so,、right. what happens when you write a novel like Heartbreaker is that I wrote that because of a commotion inside of me, and 
this unsettled feeling that I had, I wanted to go as deeply into it as I could. But what the book gives me now that it's done is I exited an entire sequence of feeling, Mm -hmm. like a deep, deep sequence of feeling. Right. And it's concluded itself. And so So now I just, I'm free. I I feel such an incredible relief. Yeah. So it's almost like the book itself is a placeholder for your Mm -hmm. feelings, your Mm -hmm. thoughts, or your experience of past years. That's right. Right. That's right. Exactly. It contains all Mm -hmm. of that. It contains everything. It really does. That's really beautiful itself. I mean, that's why why I do feel like my book is my soul. You know, it's that close to me. I don't write with any strategy. I don't write to try to make a bestseller or to be shelved at Costco. I don't write to be famous. I don't have any of that aspiration. I write because I have to. Mm-hmm. Something I wanted to explore is identity. Mm. Because uh, being authentic, being yourself has been in, in the talk lately a lot. Mm. But sometimes that got me thinking, what does that mean? Because as you also just shared, there are probably a lot of uh, different kind of identities in us, in mm. a person. Also, that kind of tied out to what we talked about before we started recording. You mentioned today you could be a girl, tomorrow it could be a boy. The, mm. the option almost is endless. Yeah. So how do you be authentic to yourself and then kind of balance that identity? Hmm. I don't even know how I'm going with this. No, I, I mean, I think I'm, when you were talking about this emphasis on authenticity, it just makes me think of people branding themselves. Right. You know, it really brings out the cultural cynic in me where I see people having to create some kind of consistent visual and verbal expression of themselves essentially to rope others into believing in what their life is and then their life becomes that thing right you know and Mm -hmm. then you lose the multitudes like i think social media is like completely narrowed what it is to be human and commodified it you know so i think that the authentic self is actually the one that's the most private you know I mean, I feel like I'm being it here with you, you know, with the sunlight coming in, sitting on this couch, which actually was the couch my husband and I sat on on our wedding day. Oh, my God. I'm so honored. Everything in our house. Now I have to sit very gently now. (laughs) Everything in our house is really, it reflects our life together, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think the authentic self is multiple and private. Wow. That is really, really true. I never thought about that. Mm. But you know it in your heart, like the animal of your heart, when you feel like yourself. What is the animal in your heart? I know that I feel like myself, for example, when I'm like stroke my son's hair and wish him good night, mm. or when my husband walks into a room and I see him and I haven't seen him for five hours, the feeling that I have, you know, and really Even truly, after 17 years. This is it. <laughs> It's true. I am myself with him. And that's a big life together. And then, of course, when I'm writing, you observed it right away. The moment I step into my writing studio, I am alive. I come alive. In the world, I can feel like tender and... Um, powerful at the same time yeah a lot of different things and then but in my writing studio that's like that's a kind of heaven for me yeah yeah as soon as you stepped in 
Mm-hmm. I could feel that joy. Mm-hmm. Your middle name came out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. Claudia's studio on the top floor in their house is not only a sacred place where she writes, but also where most of Horses Atelier's collections come to life. Horses is a cult-like fashion house. That Claudia co-founded with her best friend Heidi Sopinka, who I also had honor interviewing on our fifth episode. You talk about your relationship with you and your sons, and then you, with your husband.、Mm-hmm. Another person I want to talk about is Heidi.、Mm-hmm. Um, you and Heidi almost have this very interesting relationship. You、mm-hmm. are business partners.、Mm-hmm. You are friends, know each other for so long.、Mm-hmm. I want to go back to ask because I never asked Heidi. How、mm-hmm. did you guys meet? We met in a folklore class at、oh. McGill. <laughs> yeah. And then shortly after, worked together as cooks in a lumber camp, and really had that kind of friendship where you fall in love. Like we just fell in love with each other, and we're so kindred and so compatible, and we just became so so close、mm-hmm. through that experience. And then always kept in touch, and then our lives became very kind of syncopated. We had our children at the same time. We started a business together. We both write, and then you having your second book, and she's just had her first book. That's right. In the same year. That's right. That's right. So it's like uncannily syncopated. You know, I found out I was pregnant with my first son the night that she gave birth to her first son. Oh my god! Right. So there's like something、right. really profound, like、mm-hmm. archaeologically profound,、right. about knowing and loving each、yeah. other and having each other's backs and、right. supporting each other through a lot of likeness and a lot of contrast. Right. That's what makes the friendship so profound. Is it's got.、Yeah. Both of those elements at work. The people I love most and feel closest to, I have a lot of difference with. So I learn from them、right. because they have qualities that I don't have. So I can observe those qualities, you know, and and just yeah, it's like an apprenticeship, that、wow. kind of love. So in a business,、uh, you guys have together.、Mm-hmm. Usually, people have business together. They. Usually have complementary skills,、mm-hmm. so one person might be good at business and very data driven, another、mm-hmm. person might be very creative and visual. I almost feel like you and Heidi are very similar. Yeah. So what kind of roles are you playing, each of you in this business? Well, we both do everything, and we are very similar. You know, we'll pick、mm-hmm. out the same colorway, we'll pick out the same swatch, we'll. Finish each other's sentences,、yeah. but we'll tussle things too. We'll debate things to get to the better outcome or the stronger, more horses outcome. So we both really attend to everything. You know, the design, the taxes, the marketing, the dreaming. You know, all、mm-hmm. of it. We're telling that story together.、Mm-hmm. And how do you bring yourself, each other, grounded, or、mm-hmm. bring that humanity out from within in such a Commercialized industry.、Mm, yeah, well, I don't think we could have survived this long without each other. You know, it's the humanity of the friendship, the closeness of the friendship. That's the heart of the thing,、mm-hmm. and that's how we're able really to stay true to what we're doing inside a ruthless environment. And we've made seemingly uncommercial 
decisions. We were always given the advice, you know, volume, 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 department stores, do every season, do five drops, Mm -hmm. produce overseas. We've done the opposite of all of the advice that we were ever given. We don't have a showroom. We only sell in our shop and online. We produce everything in Toronto. Just feeling like you're living by your principles and by your own philosophy. Staying true to that keeps you feeling meaningful inside, again, like a really cold, fast business. Yeah. The business has to run, obviously, for it Mm -hmm. to keep going, right? right? For the design studio and all of our beautiful dreams around what that means and you know, what we want for it. The what business, is your biggest dream? I actually well, well, we really wanted a multidisciplinary design studio. And I feel like we've in a way achieved that now that we both have novels mm-hmm. and the team that works with us. We have one folk musician. We have one electro pop musician. We have a playwright. We have another musician. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we work with mm-hmm. these women who fashion isn't their first language. You know, it wasn't their first practice. And that's what we always wanted. Like it's like theater background, music background. And so that hub of making. I feel like in a way I look around sometimes and I'm like, ooh, we did hit upon our deepest dream. Like it's happening. Right. Sometimes you have pinch yourself to see if you are still in a dream or something. Yeah, those are the best moments when I look around and I see these like young, super bright women who all have practices that are independent of horses. They have these Mm -hmm. very full, vivid lives outside of the design studio. What other benefits do you see that these, um, your colleagues, I would say, or Mm -hmm. people who work with you, fashion is not their first languages. Mm. Um, What kind of benefits do you see or what things they bring on the table that otherwise wouldn't be able to? Yeah, that's such a great question. I mean, the answer, I guess, is really nuanced. Like they just have a different way of seeing things. I think that there's some kind of like fresh perspective that they bring a lot of just talent and rigor. I think artists, for you to truly be an artist, you have to be so disciplined. You have to be just almost cold with yourself, just so rigorous and monkish. Mm -hmm. And they all have that. They're such hard workers, you know, and they care so deeply. They're so, they're the heart of the place. They really are. Mm -hmm. Mm. You just shared the art of being an artist. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I just, I love extreme work that has like a beginning, a middle, and an end. I'm pretty... Has to have an end? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It needs to be conclusive, right? It's mm-hmm. like it's like a book needs to end, you know, and then you get to do a new one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what is the next one? Mm. I can't talk about it. Yeah, I'm a Scorpio. I'm a very secretive person. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. But can you share something? Um, When did you start thinking about the next book? Well, I think I've been thinking about it for years. I've just been trying to find a way to write it that won't break my heart. Mm -hmm. Is that possible? No, my heart might break again, but it's very resilient. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the really, really good quality. I do too. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I mean, any opportunity for joy or kindness, we have to seek out. That's a good conclusion. (laughs) The beginning, middle, this is the end. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, no, not really. I have a rapid fire. (laughs) Um, 
So, are you ready for the rapid fire? Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is my favorite part. Okay. Something weird about you that not that many people know of. I often wear athletic wear that's made of unnatural fibers, like my children do. <laughs> What scares you the most? Dishonesty. Now is a package, so please use three or less words to describe the following: nostalgia, looking back, love, everything, style, yourself, aging. Inevitable, book. Please, dear God. <laughs> Heartbreaker. Sound of heartbeat. Okay, wow, that's powerful. And so, please share a love note to your future self. Honor your courage. Your ultimate favorite film.、Mm, maybe Badlands. Oh, I never watched that. Sissy Spacek. What is it about? Oh, just teenagers committing murder and falling in love. You love thrillers.、Then. I do. <laughs> like murder, love, great outfits, being on the run. What、oh、more、God. could you want? Yeah, I'm so fascinated about true crimes too.、Mm-hmm, me too. <laughs> me too. Almost. I think I'm crazy. I mean, I actually the weird thing about me that no one knows is that some nights to relax, it's like my Valium. I'll go on to like. A terrible tabloid site and read their cold crimes. Oh my like god! Like unsolved crime for hours. It fascinates me. Me too. Yeah, I have a dark and morbid, fast-moving、mm. head. Me、mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Me too.、Mm-hmm. Um, three truths or wisdom piece of advice you can share. Um, I'll say one available light theory. This was from a teacher of mine. Named Blake Brooker, who's a theater artist in Calgary, and he would say, "When you're going to make something, be aware of what you have on hand to make it. Be aware of your available light theory."、Um, another one of his that I've really held on to is put your ass in the chair. Like if you want to get work done, work, sit there, be still, don't let anything get in your way, and work.、Um, my friend. Said this to me, whenever you have those like crushing moments of shyness, when you have to do something that's outward facing, and you'd much rather be inward facing, which is me a lot of the time, she said, put your body where you know it needs to go.、Mm. And last, what are you currently seeking? Peacefulness. Right now, it's pretty much that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Sasha. I can't get over your. You're really talented. Oh, thank you are. You you have such、um, insightful、wow. questions. They have like an element of almost strangeness to them, and yet they're really well researched and pinned to time and place, but deep, really deep. Yeah, that's a gift. Wow! Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh my God, that's amazing. Okay, now we can relax. Great. Are you, are you relaxing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was like. Oh, thank you for listening in and staying till the end. I left a comment from Claudia at the end just for my own ego boost. But honestly, though, this conversation is so heart wrenching. Claudia is such a beautiful soul inside and out. 
Before we started the podcast, she offered my photographer friend Vayu and I her homemade kombucha. Kombucha is that how you how is it called? I'm I'm not even sure. Which was so good that I ended up drinking three big glasses. Ah, <sighs> anyway. Make sure to head to dearsecrets.com to visit Claudia's home and check out her recommendations. And please head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and comment. This will keep us going and keep producing this podcast for you. And just a kind reminder that our first buffet is on September twentieth. Make sure to head to our website to find out more. Last but not the least, we are also on Instagram and Spotify. Just search "Dear Seekers" and meet us there. Each woman we celebrate has also shared a playlist with you, which is super, super awesome. Okay, so I guess that's it for this week. See you in two weeks. Until then, happy seeking. Happy seeking.